we've read, read the scripture in Genesis chapter 50. I'll be beginning there in verse 14 in just a moment. What a sight it must have been for this entourage, the funeral procession going all the way from Egypt into Canaan. The royal entourage, absolutely impressive. It would be the equivalent today of a funeral procession, all of black SUVs, miles of them going into Canaan. In fact, when they crossed over Canaan, the Canaanites all paused and looked and wondered at what a great person this must be. And for the treatment that he was received, all financed by the king of Egypt. Jacob is at last. His body is brought home. He has already departed and gathered to his people. And yet there's unfinished business with Jacob's sons. And though one generation leaves and part of the family circle leaves, there's always those left behind to carry on and to do the Lord's will. We're going to learn this morning, the Lord willing, and we certainly pray, lessons in grace. Would you say that with me? Grace. What a beautiful word it is. Let's say it again. Grace. It is something only God can provide and give, which we so desperately need. It is unmerited, undeserved, and cannot be earned. And yet to those who have been lavished with this great grace of God, we are duty-bound and obligated, if you will use those words, to lavish that same grace to others. May the Lord bless his word today. Now, Father, we come with a very keen awareness that you have spoken. And these things are recorded for our learning and admonition. They are not just trivial details from ancient history. While the Spirit of God has moved upon men of old to pen these words and breathe the very words for us, may we be cautious and search the Scriptures as the Bereans did and ask, Lord, what will Thou have us to do? What would You have us to know? So we pray that the Holy Spirit of God would have full reign in this service. Unloose my tongue. May I not say anything, Lord, that you would not have me say. But I pray that hearts would be open, that doors would be clear and windows open to spiritual truth. May those who may be outside of Christ understand their position and the great glorious salvation that you've provided and have made available. Help us to make that clear and plain. And then, Lord, this grace that we have received, may we lavish it upon others. Teach us, Lord, and guide us, we beg. In Jesus' name, amen. The book of Genesis opens with the record of the beginning of life. In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. Let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind. And God said, let us make man in our image. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. But the record of Genesis closes with death. So Joseph died here in our last verse of 26, being 110 years old, and they embalmed him. You see how... The Holy Spirit emphasizes the terror and the horror of death. He died and they embalmed him and 
he was put in a coffin. Over and over it's reiterated the, the horror of death. From creation to the coffin, we have the record of man's origin, the fall, our death. The wages of sin is death. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Death is passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Death does not overlook one of the human race. It matters not if you're from the royal family or from whatever family, what your economic status may be. Presidents die, kings die, patriarchs die, preachers die, apostles die. The closing verses of Genesis record amazingly and interestingly, I think, an, an example of, an, of open forgiveness and, and graciousness as Joseph clears his brothers once and for all from the horrendous crime they committed against him years before. Here's one of the grandest books of the Bible, and it ends with one of the grandest themes in the Word of God. I direct your, divert your attention from the, the coffin and the funeral possession to when they get back home and That theme is grace, grace greater than our sin. Marvelous grace of our loving Lord, freely bestowed on all those who believe. Joseph and his brothers leave us with a vivid picture of lessons in grace. I think we need to take this class, don't you? Do I have interested pupils this morning? The first thought that comes to my mind is the shallowness and the selfishness of Joseph's brothers to bring all this painful incident up again at this point in Joseph's life. Let's face it, this is not a good time, humanly speaking, to address these things. They had just buried their father, and though the record does not tell us when this event took place, where it's recorded in the record seems to me to be after they got back home. The flowers have been placed on the tomb of of Joseph, I'm sure they've gone around and seen the remains of grandparents and great-grandparents and have you do at a cemetery, and then they come back home. And the brothers do not come themselves at first. They send a mediator to Joseph. No sooner had they got home from the funeral trip and hung up their black mourning suits They sent word to Joseph with a posthumous message from their father. Now, there's no record that this word is ever recorded of Jacob, although I don't doubt that he gave it, but they're they're calling upon a dead man's words that they really have no way of saying, but they're trying to use all leverage they can to put Joseph in the right frame of mind. Your father, notice how they refer to uh, Jacob as his father. Joseph, your father, he was their father too, wasn't he? Your father did command before he died, saying, So shall you say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin. Notice he uses two different words to describe the horrendous deeds of these boys. Their trespass, they sinned against God and against man. For they did unto thee evil. And now we pray thee, forgive the trespass of the servants of God of thy father. What a slander that Joseph must have felt when this mediator came to him. What a slap in the face this must have been. Had he not been gracious to them? 
Had he not extended kindness and provisions and used his influence with Pharaoh and gone out on a limb to make arrangements for all of them to come, they, had no, they could not stay at home. There was nothing but famine in the land, no crops, nothing to raise uh, to, to feed their, their herds, and they were herdsmen. They brought all of that, the herds, all of that to, to Egypt, were given a whole section of, of ground and, to live on, he had made all this arrangement and had not, he not used his influence with Pharaoh. And as the old Egyptian uh, Jewish writer said that Joseph, uh, Jacob even had a golden bed. And whether that's true or not, Pharaoh opened up the coffers, as it were, of Egypt and received the, the family, the extended family of Jacob and gave them all that they needed. It is a sad but hard fact that a guilty conscience is not easily quieted. Have you noticed that? I'm sure that you've learned that by experience because I know I'm talking to guilty sinners this morning. There's not a one of us exempt. And I know, for one, I'll testify since I'm doing the talking, I know what a guilty conscience feels like. It is one of those gifts, if you will call it such, from God that cannot be denied. You can turn your head from the deed done. You can rewrite history. You can try to. All those who are alive know the facts. And those who can read can go back farther and figure out things. But you can rewrite your own history. I know people who do that. They have their own private view of the world and and of life. You can do all those things, but when you put your head on the pillow at night, you cannot turn away a guilty conscience. Actually, this whole confrontation and rehashing of the sordid event from their past was necessary. I said all of that, but I want you to know it was necessary. Not so much on Joseph's part. Joseph had already in his heart and mind long ago released his brothers from the debt they owed him. Do you know when I think that was done? Although I can't prove it from Scripture, but because the Holy Spirit records no bitterness in Joseph's heart against his brothers, no record of his own misdeed, I believe, in that pit, when he cried out to the Lord, tears of anguish, God gave him grace in that hour to forgive his brothers. And he did so from that moment on. All action past then that that Joseph shows towards his brothers is absolute lavish grace and forgiveness. He, He never, although he used the leverage of the event to bring them to where they should be, I'm not saying that this is just a schmoozy, you know, cheesy kind of thing at all. No. Forgiveness is not cheap. Grace is not like that. And so when they come in the beginning to to get food, all they cared about was food, but there's more things involved in life than food, isn't there? Most people today are concerned about their financial standing, their security, about the famine, about the stock market, about who's going to be elected, about their position. They're more concerned about that, but God will always get down to the root of the matter, which is your standing before Him and your relationship with others. Nothing else really matters. If you don't believe that now, you will be on your deathbed. You'll, you'll say, Amen, Brother Lamb. That's, that's all that really matters. My relationship 
the one who put a soul in my body and who will take it home at his bidding. My relationship with him and then my relationship with you is all that will matter. When Chris Lamb comes to die, I won't care about how much money is in the accounts. I won't care about any of those kinds of things. Or whether the grass is cut or all those things that we fret over while we're here below. It'll be somebody else's to cut, won't it? It'll be somebody else's business to go through all that stuff I piled up and have to deal with. In fact, I'm going to get poetic justice out of all of that. I'm, I'm filling up a garage of stuff they're going to have to go through with and deal with. Boxes and boxes. What was Daddy thinking? Daddy was thinking he was seeing you here going through this stuff. And he's, I'm just, I'm just joking. But all that stuff won't matter, will it? The books we fret over, the, the painting from Aunt Bertha. It's not even good, but we have it hanging there. Fight over it. I don't care. How like so many of us today. They had never, though, truly, openly, this was necessary because. Brother Ann, why was this necessary? It was necessary because they never had truly, openly, and sincerely confessed their sin to Joseph. They'd never done that. Oh, it had been hinted at. It had been referred to. But they, they had never really come before him themselves. But they'd never really honestly, openly dealt with their sin against Joseph. And it was necessary because they were the ones that were having fear and anguish and losing sleep. Not Joseph. Joseph was not worrying and fretting over his relationship with his brothers, but they were certainly concerned about their relationship with him. Whether it was pride or fear or both. There's so many things that go into the human psyche and the soul of why we do things, but they had not officially come to Joseph on their own. They were sent by their father to Egypt. When they found out it was Joseph, what was their response? They were scared. They were fearful. And and that fear was there because sin had not been dealt with. And those of you who have not dealt with your sin, you live in fear. Fear of exposure. Fear of what's going to happen. And ultimately, you ought to be fearful of standing before the great creator God of the universe. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. All things will be open before him with whom we have to do. How like so many of us today. They, they know they have sinned. Their conscience condemns them. The facts are obvious. They hear of Christ's mercy and grace, they enjoy the blessings of life and provision. Every one of the sound of my voice has enjoyed the weather and the, the provision of God on this earth, that he did not let the sun melt this earth as he could have this last week. We've enjoyed our position, what, what manner of health that you have, the blessings of daily life and the daily gifts of his common grace which are extended to every person who breathes on this planet. But they fall short of true repentance toward the one whom they've grievously wronged and offended. We wonder who the messenger was that they sent. The Bible is silent, but we have some ideas. Could it have been Judah, the spokesman who'd 
who'd kind of risen to the place of the family mediator, may have been Judah, or was it, as some surmise, Benjamin, the brother who seems to be closest to Jacob? You can rest assured they, they found the one who Joseph, they thought, would be most favorable to, and said, go speak a word to our, our brother. They feel they need a mediator between them and Joseph, and so they send one to him. And they, then finally, verse 18 tells us, they go to Joseph themselves. Don't, don't miss this, because so many today feel the need of grace, the need of forgiveness, but you're depending on some go-between, some mediator between you and the Lord. I'll get back to that in just a moment. The guilt of sin points to the need of a mediator. You don't, if there's no problem, you don't need someone to solve it. You don't have to reconcile friends. But the fact that there's a mediator needed tells us there's a problem between the two parties. And a a human tendency is to turn to religion as a mediator. I'll I'll, I'll salve my conscience, my guilty conscience. I need to do better, so I'll start going to church or join something or get into some kind of program, religious program, and that, that will afford me the feeling that I'm making progress. After all, I'm showing up, I'm going through the checklist, or whatever that religious exercise may, may call for, and they do that to, to quiet the conscience between them and the Lord. Religion is used as a mediator. Or a religious system that tells you, if you do these certain things, you'll surely impress God and get to, to heaven. Religious rites or deeds or another human to mediate and go to the Lord for you. I'm not good enough, so I'll go to someone, I'll go to the preacher or the priest or someone who's bound to be better than I am, the reasoning goes, and, and get him to mediate. But that's just one sinner mediating for another sinner. And so there's problems with that. And, and you see, sin separates. It alienates the soul from God. And there was a wedge between Joseph and his brothers, Not on Joseph's part, but it was on their part. A wedge that had not been removed because it had not been dealt with. It it prevents fellowship and communion and the joy of God's favor and prevents the real enjoyment of His blessings and provisions. There's a a song that we sing that says that uh, heaven above is softer blue, earth below is sweeter green. Something lives in every hue that Christless eyes have never seen. But the song goes on to say, now that I know him, he is mine and I'm his, I see everything from a different perspective. I've heard testimonies that after conversion, that the trees seemed to be clearer and the colors brighter and that the world was just a better place because they had been rightly related to the Lord. Sin separates. All this time that the brothers couldn't enjoy the gifts and the provisions that Joseph lavished upon them. They were living like royalty. They didn't live like that in Canaan. Here they are well received everywhere they went. Those are the brothers of Joseph, second in command to Pharaoh. They had all that attached glory from their glorious brother. But they didn't enjoy that. They looked over their shoulder and and wondered when it would end and what would become of them and when would it all come crashing down. They feared as long as Jacob was alive, it would be okay. But the moment their daddy died, they feared that Joseph would act just like they had acted toward him. 
You see that the tendency of human nature is to treat others like we think they'll treat us. Human nature can't comprehend grace. And living in a state of grace and graciousness and extending mercy. It's always tit for tat and record keeping. And if I do this, you'll do that. But that's not the grace that our God extends to us. And it was not the grace that Joseph had extended to them. The out, those outside of Christ this morning. And let me, let me just say at this point that if you are not saved, if you're not rightly related to the Lord, and I use various terms to describe it, you're either God's child by regeneration and, and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ or you're outside of Him. And that is not because of whether you join the right church or not. You're born outside of Christ. And you need to be brought into a right relationship with God the Father through the work of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so those who are outside of Christ, who have not been saved by His grace, cannot truly enjoy the gifts of life. Or family, or, or health, or the sunrise and the rain and the sunset, the common gifts that are showered down from heaven Beautiful, glorious blessings. And so they limp along with a cloud of guilt hanging over their heads. And a wall of sin separating them between them and Christ. Now, let me go back and make a clarification here. When I said that people have a need for a mediator and try to find one. The problem is finding the wrong mediator. You see, the brothers falsely thought if they could get someone in, in, in Jacob's favor that that would make all the difference in the world. Yes, we, we do need a mediator, but it is not one of us. We're all sinners. How could any of us represent any of the others of us to God because we all have the same flawed, messed up record. Even those who've been showered His grace and have entered into a particular relationship with the Creator God through the the work of Jesus Christ, we're still sinners saved by grace in need of a Savior. There's not a second that we live that we're not in constant need of God's grace upon us. 1 Timothy 2 verse 4 is a very important verse. And to me it dismantles all religious systems that have a a human hierarchy between you and God. We believe that the Bible teaches all of us can come directly to God. But how preposterous is that when you just said, preacher, that we're all flawed and sinners and and, uh, we cannot come to Him. That's true. But because of the work of our mediator, we can go to him. You see, you need to know the right mediator. There is one, not many, not several, not find someone you think would fit the bill. There is one mediator between God and man. Who is he? The man Christ Jesus. For there is one God and one mediator between the man, and man, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself a ransom for all. You see, that qualifies and quantifies and clarifies who that mediator is. There's no one else among men that fits that description. One who gave himself as a ransom 
for all. You see here that Joseph's brothers had come to themselves. It had finally dawned on them in person to receive the blessing from Joseph. You and I must go to Jesus directly. The, the reason that we pray to the Father, we come to the, the, God the Father in the name of the Son is because He has opened the door for us to come to God. We come boldly before the throne of grace, not because we're smart Alex, or because we've done so much or we've, we've passed all the tests and we've c- completed the checklist of righteousness or deeds that we've come up with. We come boldly to the throne of grace solely on the merit and the work of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Plus nothing, minus nothing. The way to the Father is through the work of the Son, who is not only the, the mediator, but the sacrifice all in one, who is just and the justifier. Oh, amazing, amazing truth. We must go to Him directly, personally, to receive the gift of salvation, to have the record clear. You see, they're trying to clear up some things, aren't they? And the, the thing about it is so many people go through life trying to correct this and that and work on this and that. And while that may be noble and good, your whole record is flawed. There's not one part of you that's okay. You don't have it together anywhere in your life. You need a Savior. You need a mediator. And we feel that need, don't we? These brothers feel, I, we've, got to, we've, got to do, we've got to find somebody to get to, to, to Joseph and to, to change his mind and to turn his feelings toward us and, and work this thing out. No church or pastor or priest or system can do what we're talking about here. No deeds, no religious exercises can ease the soul from the burden of sin. If these brothers had sent gifts to Joseph, they'd have sat at home that night and said, I wonder, what he, I wonder if he got it. I wonder what he thought about that stuff. I wonder how he's... How he's what, if they had uh, wrote a letter, they'd have wondered about it. You see, no matter what you can come up with that these boys would do, they finally had to come to Joseph face to face to clear it up, didn't they? No, no thing can do that, but Christ can. And there's no sin he cannot remove. I, I want to report to you today, what these brothers did was very, very horrendous, wasn't it? We can't even imagine taking anybody, but especially a, a brother, a blood brother of ours, and put them in a pit and listen to them scream for their life and wail and beg for mercy. And then here in the pit... Him hear us talking about how we could kill him or what to do with him. Until finally, someone has the presence of mind to say, let's just sell him as a slave. It, just, it's, you can't, it doesn't get any worse than that, does it? It is horrendous. But I want you to know that there is no sin that cannot be forgiven. Imagine the grace that it took for Joseph to forgive his brothers. But you can only give that kind of grace if you've received that kind of grace. Our Lord one day gave an illustration about a man 
who released certain servants of a debt they owed. One owed 50 pounds, 50 whatever, and one owed one, and one owed 10. And, and he asked his disciples a question. He says, which do you think loved the, the master the most? And they said, the one who owed him the most. And in that regard, all of us ought to feel we owe him the most. Paul had such a, a weight of his own sin that he was not, this was not Christian bragging. I've heard Christian bragging. It's humility, it's pride in reverse. It's a false humility. And they brag about their worthlessness and their, their, all of that to a point that is, is sickening. But when Paul says, I am the chief of sinners, he means that. It grieved him that he sought out the church and arrested mothers and fathers and pulled them from their screaming children and from the prayer meetings and hauled them off to, to, to jail and treated them like cattle. It grieved Paul that he treated the bride of Christ like that. And that's why he called himself the chief of sinners. He's not trying to impress anyone. The weight of his sin, of that, the guilt of that, that sin never left him in a sense but he rejoiced in the great grace that was lavished upon him by the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Part of the blessing of salvation, and there's so many. Do you know salvation is like a, it is like a, a, a treasure that you get, every time you, you turn, open it up, there's something else you've not seen before. And as you grow in grace, and as you delve into the gold mine of the treasures of God and His Word, and you, you constantly find out through messages and through personal reading and Sunday school classes, your whole journey of grace, there are whole new treasures that you've not even considered and, and meditated upon. Oh, that's why it's called so great salvation. But part of the blessing of, of salvation is the clearing of our conscience. The writer of Hebrews, and Paul said I, in his writings, I want a conscience void of offense, clear of offense towards God and towards everyone else. That wiping the slate clean. Now, interestingly, we as humans want the slate of our deeds wiped clean, the sins, but not necessarily relationships. It's almost as if we can put them in different categories. The clearing of the conscience. Oh, be cleared of blame. That's what you hear so much in the hymns and the songs that the songwriters capitalize on. Oh, happy day that fixed my choice on thee, my Savior and my God. Well, may this glowing heart rejoice until its raptures all abroad. Raptures about what? Why are you so rapturously joy? I'm clear to blame. My, my record's clear today, for he washed my sins away. The old account is settled. There's nothing there. I'm in Christ. I'm, there's therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. You can't, you can't manufacture that. You can't sing it up. You can't you can't do, you, there's nothing you can do except receive that as a gift from God. There's no worship service that can conjure that up right there. We sing in one of the quaint songs in our camp meeting songbook as we've done through the month of, 
of camp meeting. You notice the wording and the topics are a little bit different, but one of my favorites. And it's put, the first time I read these lines, because I, uh, I'm somewhat of a literature person, I read, one, one of my English teachers told me, if you think you can write poetry, don't, because it'll be bad. But I do take note of songs and the wording of them, and some, some wording, quite frankly, just bothers me, okay? And, uh, but the first time I heard the wording in this second line of this song, I thought, well, that's a little cheesy. That's a little trivial. But the more I sing it, the more I meditate on what Christ has done, I see that that dear songwriter might not could have found other words, but they sure do describe it where you can understand it. And these are the words. In my night of dark despair, Jesus heard and answered prayer. Now I'm walking free as air, hand in hand with Jesus. Now, the line I'm calling into question is that, or telling you about now I'm walking free as air. I think I've, you know, but that's what it, that's what it is. It's a transcendence of of guilt being cleared, the record is cleared. And when you realize that in Christ, it's all been taken care of. Oh, the horror and pain and the guilt of sin. The year after David's horrible sin, he was totally inoperable. He couldn't function as a king. The the one who wrote the most beautiful psalms, the most beautiful words that men can, can conjure. You cannot surpass the beauty of the Psalms and most of them from the pen of the man after God's own heart. But there was a year in his life when no Psalm was written. The sweet singer of Israel's voice was silenced. His harp was put on the shelf. The glories of his kingdom did not matter to him. When he walked to the the windowsill to look out over the the glorious kingdom, the the lavish palaces. He he was not stirred by it. The royal entourage, the servants, the the chariot, all that junk at this point. All the gilded candelabras could not remove the, the guilt of David's sin. One day the preacher came as preachers are wont to do, and knocked on the door and said, David, I'd like to talk to you. And he told him a story. And the Holy Spirit seized David's heart when the preacher said, David, this is you. You're the man. David picked up his pen and wrote out his prayer of repentance. How often I have turned to the 51st Psalm and prayed it as my own prayer. Have mercy on me, O God. According to thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Oh, the horror and pain of the guilt of sin. There's nothing worse. There's no deprivation, there's no need, there's no sickness, there's no human condition worse 
than the guilt of sin before our God. Joseph had already extended grace to them back in chapter 45. In verse, beginning, he said, bring your children, come and live, I'll take care of you. Kindness and mercy and grace flowed from Joseph to his brothers, but they did not believe it. What stands between you and the peace and the joy and the cleansing of Christ's forgiveness, do you know what it is? It's unbelief. The, 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 the door that stands between, the wall that stands between you, and they did not believe that, that Joseph was a man of his word. They didn't believe that. They thought he was acting a part and that he was ready to, to pounce upon them the moment that daddy was out of the picture. You see, if that's your idea of grace, you don't understand it, do you? Some of you are hesitant to come to Christ because for many different reasons, but you don't understand. Some think, well, I can't live that way. They, I can't keep it. I can't live up to it. And they give all kinds of excuses. They just don't understand grace. It is a gift, isn't it? A gift from God. To as many as received him, believed on him, is that receiving and believing is all the same. To as many as received him, to them gave he what? The power. So you see, His grace has within it the ability to do whatever He asks you to do. Thy sins be forgiven. The only He can do that, but He has the power to do all the ramifications. If He says to a man, take up your bed and walk, with a command comes the ability to perform it. They didn't believe it. For 17 years they lived under the, the weight and the cloud of the deeds that they had done. You realize... It never goes away, does it? There has to be a miracle performed. And God's grace does that. We see several lessons here in grace, and I'm only going to, to mention them this morning, but they're so glaring here as we... As I study this portion of Scripture, the, the pastor, the preacher, the teacher always says, Lord, what is the, the bottom line truth here that, that we need to take away? First of all, I've already preached it, but I want just to recap it. The first lesson we see here, a guilty conscience is a cruel taskmaster. It is impossible to, to truly appease without a work of divine grace. Time does not silence it. All this time had passed. Guess what? They're still in the same boat, aren't they? A change of location does not remove it. Old age does not improve it. If that were the case, there wouldn't be any bitter old people, but there are, aren't they? Who've been nursing wounds and keeping score for all their long life. It must be dealt with in truth. All you can do with sin is to own up to it. Call it by what it is. And pour it out before the Lord. Confess it to Him. A guilty conscience is a cruel taskmaster. Secondly, you cannot force forgiveness by trying to make others feel guilty. You see, part of this mediator that they sent was to, to make Joseph feel guilty. That's the way humans deal. Now, our daddy said that when he died, for to remind you, you better treat us right. 
And they call one from the dead. And they knew Joseph's affections from his father. And though he might not have heard Jacob say that, they're calling in everything they can. Now, this is what Daddy said, Joseph, and you, you better do what Daddy said. You cannot force forgiveness by trying to make others feel guilty. When grace, thirdly, has been truly received, it will be freely given Joseph says, said to his brethren in verse 19, Fear not, I'm, am I in the place of God? I'm not God. But, but as for you, you thought evil against me. He, he does not, not acknowledge what took place. He said, I know that you wanted to harm me, but God. But God. See, if you take that out of the equation, nothing makes sense. I know this is what happened. I know this is horrible. I know what, what you meant. But God makes all the difference in the world. But God, who is over all and sovereign and intervenes in the affairs of men and families and brothers and famines. But God. God meant it unto good. Praise His holy name. To bring it to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. God is at work in your life, and He's at work in my life, on a plan that has been laid out in eternity past. And He will not rest until every part of that plan is completed. Number four, God's grace kills bitterness. Bitterness is one of the most cruel things on earth. And we see that in verse 20. God, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. There's no bitterness on Joseph's part. How, when you think about all that I just described that they did against him, how could he not be bitter? But God. But God. Number five, the power of gracious words. Notice Joseph's gracious words there in verse 21. Now, therefore, fear you not. Those are the words often spoken of by our Savior to his disciples. Fear not. Don't be afraid. And, and Joseph is so graciously telling his brothers, don't fear not. There's no re- they're, they're trembling. These old men are trembling in their robes and their sandals. Scared as little children called into the principal. Don't, don't be afraid. I will nourish you. I'll take care of you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly to them. I will tell you this morning, if you come to Jesus Christ, no matter what your circumstances are, he will speak kindly to you. He is a gracious Savior. Listen to his own words. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. My burden is easy. My yoke is is light compared to that burden that you're laboring under. What stands between a, a sinner and God's gracious pardon, forgiveness? God forgives those who acknowledge their sin and who confess it before Him. You see, people will fall just short of that. They'll join a church. They'll be baptized. They'll... They'll join a religious group or change religions or convert. They'll do all kinds of, of things except coming to God on the, on behalf of the work of Jesus Christ 
and acknowledging their sin and confessing it to Him. All those that Christ forgave in the New Testament admitted their guilt. Zacchaeus, I've taken all kinds of money from people. Salvation has come to this house. The woman at the well, she admitted her guilt. The thief on the cross, I deserve to be here. Sinners must admit, say the same thing that he says about our sin. Giving up any attempt to clear themselves by deeds or excuses or works and throw themselves on the promise of God's word that he will forgive. Believe. Believe what? On his word. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And what does he promise? Thou shalt be saved. It's all based upon God's Word, isn't it? My heart is leaning on the Word. The written Word of God. Salvation by my Savior's name. Salvation through His blood. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died. And that He died for me. For 17 long and cruel years, these men had lived under the guilt of unconfessed sin because they didn't take Joseph at his word. Isn't that sad? Back in chapter 45, 17 years ago, Joseph had shown them mercy and grace. and There was no capriciousness. They, 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 They... did not believe that Joseph was a man in his word. And those outside of Christ, you're saying that there cannot truly be a Savior who will clear me of guilt and save me if I, on, on, based on nothing but himself. But that's the word of God. And let me go a step farther. That those who have been saved need this message just as much as those outside of Christ. Because I'm talking to people who have offenses and pettiness and hurt feelings and withholding love and affection for any number of reasons. But that's not the way Joseph acted, wasn't it? Now, Joseph is a picture of the Savior, but he's not the Savior. He had received great grace from God. Did God not spare his life? Who could have helped Joseph except God? Who could have got him out of that pit, from the pit to the palace? You can't explain that kind of life apart from God. Joseph bowed low at the Savior's feet. and knew what grace was all about because he had received it. Did he deserve to be gotten out of a pit? No. Did anybody care? Nobody cared. He was just a, another slave on a slave market and the, the slave trader sold him to the... How did he get to Potiphar's attention? The grace of God. How did he get to Pharaoh's attention? The sovereignty of God. The grace of God. How did he, God opened all those doors. Let me ask you, how did you get to where you are right now? How is it that you've heard the, had the privilege of hearing the message of the gospel? How is it that you still have an opportunity to extend mercy and grace and forgiveness to others who need your forgiveness? Breathe deeply. You're alive, aren't you? Then you're in need of grace. And your need to extend grace. 
We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. We praise him for that gospel call that's going out just now. Come to Jesus Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel call, I'm so glad to report to you today, is loud and clear just now. Have you heard it? Have you heeded it? Them he also called, and whom he called, them he also, praise his name, cleared from blame. He justified them. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. We're looking forward to that, aren't we? What shall we say then to these things? What can we say about it? If God be for us, but God, if God be for us, since God is for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? We might could dig up a whole bunch of stuff on each other, but in the court of heaven it won't hold. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? If it is God that justifies, aren't you glad it's not me and you that justify? Because you know what? We would put each other on probation every other day. We would change our mind. And after seven times, we'd say, that's enough. I'm through with you. We don't justify one another. It's not in our makeup to. Most of us are not even like Joseph. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. And then some of the most glorious verses. Who can separate us from the love of God? Nobody. Can tribulation, can famine, shall peril, shall persecution, distress, the sword, anything you can think of separate us from the love of God? No, we're more than conquerors through him that loved us. I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, that's heaven's angels or Satan's angels, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come can nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature can be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so, the verdict. There are those who have heard the gospel. You've heard it today. Jesus is the Savior. He will save you if you come to Him and take Him at His word. If you believe on Him. He will. Could it be that there are those who've heard it and know it and who could tell it backwards and forwards, but they, they've never really repented before God and trusted Christ alone to save them. Lord, I just take you at your word. I'm a sinner. I have messed up. I need your mercy. I need to be saved. I need to be changed, regenerated. I can't, all that I've done has done nothing but added more guilt upon me, and I come now begging for your mercy and grace. The man in the Bible, God be merciful to me, a sinner. You've just never come clear before the Lord in that way. I recommend you to go to Jesus Christ just now where you are and tell him. And 
If you need to come forward in this service or come to one of us, we'll take a Bible and show you more and answer other questions as we can. And then there are others here who would testify, I've been regenerated. I know what it is to have the, the free pardon of sin. I know what it is to walk free as air. But you're withholding grace from others. Or you may be in need of going to someone and clearing it up. You see, the brothers sent the mediator and then they realized, you know what? We better go ourselves. Now you can come to me and tell me all about it and there's only so much I can do. You can go directly to Jesus Christ and He can do all things. If you go directly to that person that you've wronged and your, your responsibility is not on how they receive it or not receive it. It's just your part to, to own up to what you did. And these brothers finally did. And I hope we end Genesis not with the coffin not on Joseph's embalming bones and that he lived 110 years, but on the great grace that oozes from these verses. Don't you see grace? Oh, the beauty of grace. You meant it against me, but God meant it unto good. There are those of you also who need to come before the Lord and say, Lord, I just... Accept your dealings with me in my life. And I know that you will ultimately, it may not be until I stand before you complete that I see these truths, but I accept it by faith just now and bow myself before you. Let us pray. as we go before the creator of the universe who holds our times in his hands. He has been so gracious to allow us to live to this very hour that we can hear his holy and infallible and precious word. And We just pray that the Holy Spirit would use it however it is needed. If you're here today without a Savior, oh, please trust in him. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Do you have a need of the Savior? Do you feel your guilt? Have you confessed your sin to Him and repented of your, your sin? Rest on Jesus Christ. Call on Him just now. Do you need forgiveness from someone? Why not go to Him and clear it up? Christian that has been saved, are there things between you and the Lord? Why not just repent of them just now and be done with them? Oh, Lord, do your work in our midst. Human works and efforts avail us nothing but the work of the Holy Spirit. That's what we ask for. Visit your people with mercy and grace and repentance and forgiveness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.